Uh, we are in the story of the plagues. Everybody say, yay, plagues. Yeah, uh, sometimes parts of the Bible are, 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 are kind of you know, downers, it seems, at first. But then as you kind of read through them, you can see so many incredible things. God is such a powerful God. Uh, we're seeing that here in the plagues. He is able to do uh, anything that he wants to do. And his aim in doing whatever he does is to draw creation, what he's created, us included, back to himself for us to see who he is and to worship him rightly. Uh, things that we've been learning even as we started last week with the plagues, as we examine uh, uh, the first and second plagues, the, the Nile River being turned to blood and, and, the, and then lots of frogs. I love God's sense of humor. Lots of frogs. He just sent frogs. Uh, he does, but uh, all the, those first two plagues and all the rest of the plagues, he does uh, for, for a few reasons. One, he wants, he wants to show Egypt and Israel, who is slaves to Egypt, who are slaves to Egypt, that he is God and no other God is. In fact, there is only one true God. This is what God is saying. All others are false. Uh, the plagues are going to directly. Uh, refute the power of the Egyptian deities that are associated with the things that God uh, reveals his power in. The, the miracles that he does are going to debunk and prove false the deities of Egypt. Uh, he does that to show that he's the only true God and that all others are false. Others are false. And he does that even today in our lives. So you're like, well, I don't worship the Egyptian deities. Good. But we have all kinds of false idols that we, uh, even sometimes without knowing, give our worship to, and we place them above the one true God in our lives, things like money and fame and power and sometimes even people that we love too much and we um, impose on them, you know, these, um, these you know, God expectations, you have to be my savior, you have to be my source. Uh, there's all kinds of false idols, false gods that God is constantly debunking in our lives. I'm grateful that he chooses to do that. We're going to see that unfold as we go through more of these plagues. The second thing we learned last week that we're going to continue to learn as we walk through these stories is that the one true God wins against all the other gods. Here's the deal. Our God created everything else that is, all right? So everything that would pose as your God or, 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 or seek to become your God, whether it's his adversary or, or uh, uh, Satan or, or any of these other false isms or ideologies, they were all um, basically put into place uh, at the behest of God, our creator. They're just perversions of the things that he's created for us. And here's the good news. God, as our creator, is over all of those things. And his record in any face-off with any of these other gods is infinity and zero. Are you with me? He will never lose. He will always prevail. And he is good to us to show us that the things that we would worship apart from him are, you know, lost causes. He humbles us so that we can get back to him. Is that enough for, a, I got four plagues. Can I just get going? Is everybody good with that? <laughs> the first plague starts uh, as the, the frog plague of last week ends in verse 16 of 18. This is what happens. The Lord says to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become Gnats, uh, no, no visit to Pharaoh. You're gonna kind of see a pattern emerge here in the plagues, especially in the first nine. They kind of go in groups of threes. There's a visit to the water. Uh, that's what happened in the first plague. For, for, or God sent Moses to Pharaoh at the water's edge of the Nile. There's a, a, a next phase, which is a visit to the palace. And then there's this third phase, which is no visit at all. No preemptive, here's what's up, Pharaoh, let my people go stuff. 
It's just like, here's the next plague. You're going to see that happen three times in a row. One through three, four through six, seven through nine, and then comes number 10. Spoiler alert, that's the big one. But he says, hey, go to Pharaoh and tell them that you're going to, or he says, he doesn't say go to Pharaoh. This is the one where he doesn't say anything to Pharaoh. He just says to uh, Moses, tell Aaron to stretch out his staff, strike the dust so that it becomes gnats. Have you ever seen gnats? Uh, the King James Version actually uh, translates this Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word kinem. Everybody say kinem. Isn't that fun? Uh, they translate it lice. As we kind of uh, unpack a little bit further in this uh, plague, what these bugs do, we get a greater understanding of what they are. Gnats are just kind of like, you know, uh, pests, but they don't bite you. Uh, these bugs apparently land on the animals and the humans here in Egypt and they are uh, pesky, biting type bugs. bugs. I'm guessing um, mosquitoes, uh, bloodsuckers that they are. They swarm here in Egypt and they plague everybody uh, in the country. They, uh, so verse 17, it says that Aaron and Moses did just as God asked. They stretched, Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on every man and beast and all the dust of the earth became gnats in all of the land of Egypt. Uh, don't blow past this, that's a lot of gnats. Like, I don't know how much dust you got in your house. Ours is sparkling clean. Anyway, um, <laughs> but there's lots of dust on the earth, and if all the dust on all the earth in this particular part of the earth uh, becomes gnats, that's a lot of bugs, right? Uh, and these things are just swarming and, and pest, pestering, and uh, it's, it's nasty stuff. Uh, one, of the, one of the scholars I read said, you know what, kind of the plagues are kind of like a decreation. I thought that was interesting. Let's talk about that. Like uh, uh, when, when God says the first thing he created was let there be what? Do you know that in a couple uh, plagues, the lights are going to go out? There's going to be darkness over all the land of Egypt. Um, uh, he, he says, uh, let's separate the waters from the earth. And he, he provides us water, which is so crucial to our very existence. We can't live without it. Uh, but here he comes to Egypt and he turns their chief water source into death. What he originally created in Genesis to be our life he changes to death. He comes to the dirt. This is one of my favorite ones. He comes to the dirt. And what did he make out of dirt in Genesis? All the fellows, wave your hands at me. He made man, right? Now, women, you were made from man, and so you're kind of, you know, once removed from the dirt. But we came from the dirt. That's what Adam's name means. Adam is or equals dirt. So, ladies, you can call your husband dirt today if you like. But... Uh, from the dirt came man, here in the plagues, from the dirt comes not the blessing that man was meant to be and is, as we are created in the image of God. Uh, from the dirt comes a curse to man, these mosquitoes, these bugs. Uh, but wrap it all up in this, all of Egypt is constantly being bit by these pesky uh, insects and there is no relief. There's no deet, no deep woods off, there's no bug zappers, there's no citronella candles, you can't go inside and get away from them. They are everywhere all the time, making you crazy. And I don't know about you, I don't like getting bit by mosquitoes. Is anybody into that? Weirdos, if you are. Anyway, uh, uh, like you, you watch some of these survival shows on, on reality television, you know, like Naked and Afraid. Yes, I talked about Naked and Afraid. Anyway, uh, they, they drop these people into these jungles where these bugs just are, all, you know, kind of like what we see here in Egypt. And, and that, that's one of the worst parts of the three weeks that they're in there is that they can't get away from these bugs. They, they show their, their skin just being, you know, bubbled up by all of these sores. Nasty stuff. In doing uh, any of these 
um, miraculous signs. God is showing up Egyptians' pantheon. Their gods are being shown to be powerless. And so the god that is probably being uh, taken to the woodshed here is the Egyptian god Geb. Uh, He's the god of soil, the crops uh, that come from the soil. They were his responsibility to make sure they had bumper bumper crops every year. Uh, He was the protector of the soil, this verdant, um, you know, dirt that uh, Egypt's crops would come from. Uh, And so he was being shown up uh, by God in this plague. Uh, But something else is going to happen. Someone else is going to get shown up as the story continues. Look at verse 18. It says, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Now, if if you can keep a score at home, uh, you know that there's these magicians that kind of live in the palace with Pharaoh, and they're, they're probably priests of these different gods that are in the Egyptian uh, um, pantheon, and, and, and they represent them, and they, they've been given uh, powers, some supernatural abilities, uh, probably by uh, God's adversary, Satan, to be able to replicate the things that God has been able to do. So, so when Moses comes to Pharaoh at the, at the beginning of the plagues and throws his stick down on the ground and it turns to a snake, all these magicians are able like, yeah, we can do that. And they throw sticks on the ground and they turn to snakes. Uh, anybody remember what happens to those snakes though? God's, snakes go, God's snake goes all Pac-Man on them and just eats them all. Foreshadowing. Anyway, um, when the Nile turns to blood, the magicians can do that one. When the frogs come out, the magicians are somehow able to produce frogs. They're never able to reverse what God has done. They can just replicate. But here in this plague, that's over. In fact, the magicians aren't going to be able to keep up anymore with Moses and Aaron. That's it. I love that God, over time, um, puts an end to our tricks, doesn't he? Like we can think, you know, I, I got this, I can handle this. Uh, I'm as powerful as God because I'll make these decisions and I'll, I'll forge my own path and everything will work out great. And, and God might be like, you know, just like he's done here with these magicians, be like, okay, I'll, I'll give you that one, I'll give you that one. But now, no more. I'm gonna humble you. I'm gonna show you where you fit in this story. I'm God, you're not. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, walk long enough in this life with him and you will see that he'll get done with your foolishness after a while and he'll be like, hey, I'm God, you're not. The magicians come to Pharaoh and they say to Pharaoh, an interesting thing, this is the only line we ever get from the magicians, it's the only thing we ever hear them say. But they say this, hey Pharaoh, king, God, because they saw him as a deity himself, um, this, this one's beyond us. These bugs, this is the finger of God. Now, you've got to unpack the Hebrew a little bit here to know kind of what they're saying. They aren't saying this is the, the, the finger or the hand of Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh was the official name that God had given himself, the I am that I am. That's how he introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush, and it's how he um, typically refers to himself when he's evoking his will, right? I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. Uh, Here it's the Hebrew word Elohim, another word that's used to reference God. It basically means God. And and, and listen, even here in the Hebrew, it's plural. So it could be that these Egyptian magicians are saying, hey, uh, Pharaoh, this is the finger of the gods. Um, There's debates about that. But boil it all down, here's here's what's happening. (laughs) These magicians, who are used to being the most powerful people in the land, 
you know, didn't have the, 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 you know, the, the authority to decree like Pharaoh did, but they were able to do all these cool tricks. They felt pretty good about themselves. They came up against this one and they're like, I got nothing. This is beyond me. This is out of my um, ability. Uh, there is something out there bigger than us. And our culture has a lot in common with these magicians. Even today, in a, in, a, in a world that's becoming more antagonistic to the, uh, to the, uh, the spirit realm, uh, most people in America still would tell you there is a God. They would say, yeah, there's a God, there's someone. The man upstairs, right? 12-step groups, he's the, you know, there's the higher power. Uh, lots of them are lumping the Judeo-Christian God in with all the other gods of all the other religions. And, but, but, but they're basically saying, yeah, you know, I can't explain everything, but there's probably still something beyond me that I just don't fully understand. That's what these magicians are saying. There's something beyond me that I just don't understand. It's, if you keep reading your Bibles, you'll see this over and over again in the stories of, of certain people in the scriptures. Like, like you get to the crucifixion of Christ and there's a centurion, this Roman centurion, whose post is the, is the, you know, the, um, the, the, the execution zone, the, the Golgotha was his, you know, his, uh, his place to be that day. And so he's just hanging out and there's been this big fuss all weekend, you know, during this Passover season about this one carpenter from Nazareth, but they finally, you know, put down the, uh, uh, the execution decree and he's gonna be hung on this cross next to a couple thieves. And he's watching the whole thing occur and at noon, the lights go out. Well, that doesn't happen every day. And as the day continues, it's you know, a normal execution otherwise, but, but finally uh, the guy in the middle, which we depict him as being in the middle, thieves on either side, um, uh, this Jesus of Nazareth says this phrase, it's finished. And he dies. And when he dies, you watch it jump off in Matthew 27. Things go crazy. There's a big curtain in the temple. It rips in half, right? Uh, the earth shakes. Ever been in an earthquake? You stop what you're doing when the earth shakes. You take notice, and get this, the tombs, uh, many of them situated outside the walls of Jerusalem, they shook so much that the doors flew open, and get this, the walking dead, not the TV show, but the actual walking dead took place. Read your Bibles, it's in there. And this Roman centurion <laughs> surveys the scene, and he says this, surely, I don't know if his wife's name was Shirley. I don't know. Uh, that's stupid. Sorry. I'm tired. Surely this was the Son of God. I, I thought he was just a carpenter from Nazareth. He died like everybody else does, but there was something different. Huh. The Bible tells us that the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder and quake, but they don't believe in him. You and I need to make sure that we don't settle for recognizing God. We need, we need to get to know him. We need to understand who he is. Lots of people recognize him, but um, there's only too few of us that have met him and received him by faith in his son uh, and his work for us on the cross. I was uh, at a wedding with Eleanor some years back, uh, one of our best buddies that worked in our youth ministry team in Dallas finally found a wife. He was like 42 years old. He finally found his girl. They're awesome. It's, it's just a great story. But we went back for that wedding, and he had all these connects from his business um, you know, relationships, and he had his, uh, 
reception in this really swanky hotel. Like, I'm like, what are we doing here? This isn't, uh, but, but we, we ended up having the, and so I got into this, um, you know, elevator at this swanky hotel. We were going back up to our room and we were going to fly out the next morning, but the reception was over for us and, and we got in the elevator and someone yells coming down the hall, would you hold that elevator? And so I put my arm out and I hold the elevator and in walks NBA all-star Jason Terry. Now this is a years back. He played for the Dallas Mavericks in the year that they finally won a championship. And I was a huge Mavericks fan from my time there. I knew exactly who he was. Eleanor had no clue, right? So just this dude walks in. He's not seven feet tall, so you can't tell right away that he's an athlete, uh, at least an NBA star. But he walks in, and we're sharing an elevator for the next however long it takes us to go where we're going. <laughs> Normally, I am not one of those people who asks for autographs. I, I didn't in this situation either. Some of you guys, you love that. That's your thing. They're dudes. They're just trying to have a taco at the restaurant where you're eating. Leave them alone, right? Just, you know, they're with their families. Don't bug them. I'm just... And they're, they're people. They're not, I mean, they're famous, but they're just people. So I just leave them alone. But it's a little different if you're in like a four-foot square closed box with your wife and, you know, the guy that you really like who plays on your team that you like, right? And so I'm like, oh, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to be that guy, but I'm like, bug it. I'm saying something. And so I turn to him and I say, so you guys ready for this year? And he was so gracious. I'm sure he gets it all the time. He knows he's trapped. And he's a delightful dude. He turns to me and says, yes, sir. And we had what I will call a delightful conversation <laughs> for the 45 seconds that we shared the elevator. He got to his floor and walked off. I didn't get his text or his phone number so that we could text and we don't share Christmas cards or anything like that. We're not buddies. Uh, but we had a delightful few seconds together. Eleanor's like, who's that? And I told her who it was and she's like, ah, okay. Anyway, uh, I tell you that story because I think a lot of the world is riding the elevator with God. I mean, they're just there. They, they know he's there. They're looking right at him. But for whatever reason, hurts from the past like we saw in the video, questions from college that they still can't answer, for whatever reason, they're staring right in the face of God and they won't say hi. They won't get to know him. Is that you? I know that's me sometimes. Uh, whether it's in my rebellion, I, I don't want to listen to him and be in relationship with him, or whether it's um, in my fears or whatever, I, I forget to consult him or go to him, whatever. It happens to anybody. But there's a whole chunk of the world out there who knows of God but doesn't know him. Let's not settle for just recognizing God. Let's, let's get to know him. And, and when it comes to our friends, these ones that we're praying for and the, the cards that we place in this can, well, let's just pray that God gives us opportunities to, to draw them into knowing him and not just knowing about him. Someone uh, after our service, uh, last service, came up to me and said, hey, while you were preaching in the, uh, in, in the service, I was in the prayer room, uh, prayer room receiving Christ. I said, well, I think that's a good way to use church. Way to go, bro. And got to excitedly talk to him about his decision. Um, someone sat in the prayer room with William and uh, took this God who he was singing about or being around people who were singing about him. And, he, and they said, okay, this is what you know about. This is him. This is how you meet him and put your faith in him. I praise God for that. Uh, Pharaoh, once again, verse 19 um, 
And his heart's hardened, just as God said it would be, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Um, and that's how that plague ends, and pretty much all of them end. Uh, someone wrote in last week and asked Travis and I, hey, when it comes to Pharaoh's heart being hard, was it, was it him or was it God who hardened his heart? So this was the actual question, who hardened Pharaoh's heart, heart God or Pharaoh? And, and we answered by saying, yes. <laughs> uh, but, but I want to clarify that answer. All humans in their sin are, are, are born into a natural rebellion, a supernatural rebellion, I guess. Uh, we are uh, disposed to not pursuing God and, and to not wanting to be governed or, or not wanting to submit to him in any way. So that's our condition. But what the Bible says here about Pharaoh and in other certain places is that God is the governor of us being drawn to himself. So if you chose God, it's because he chose you. If you love God, it's because he loved you. It actually says that in 1 John. We love him because he first loved us, right? So God is sovereign. He is the controller uh, of us being of him and in him. Um, even though it's our natural bent to avoid him and rebel against him, uh, thankfully, he overcomes that. And in his sovereignty, draws us to himself. The next plague starts like this. Uh, fourth plague, uh, verse 20. Rise up early, God says to Moses. Uh, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. The cycle starts again, like I referred to. And, and say this, that says the Lord, my, let my people go that they may serve me. God never frees us to serve ourselves. He always frees us to serve him. Uh, verse 21, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Some are like, hey, didn't we just read this? Uh, slightly different. If mosquitoes were like, you know, pests 1.0, uh, these flies, not kinim, but harobe, everybody say harobe, uh, these flies uh, were different from those first flies. Um, there are probably, in that region called dog flies, we would probably have our closest relative would be like horse flies. Anybody been in a, 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 yeah. And horse, can everybody just agree, horse flies are like the scourge. Uh, it's like creation gone completely wrong. Well, what purpose do horse flies have in existence? Other than to, you know, fly around, land on you, and give you these nasty bites. Who's ever had a horse fly bite? They don't suck any blood, they don't take anything from you, you're not feeding them or anything like that. They're just mean. They just land on you, you're like, I'm gonna bite you now, and then, and then they fly off. And that's it. It's like what I do to you. But this is what uh, scholars believe God sends next. Mosquitoes, bad, pain, just a pest. Horse flies, painful. And uh, they're swarming, they're swarming so much so that they're on the ground, like when you walk, crunch, crunch, crunch. It's like snow, right? Horsefly, horsefly snowman. I don't know if that happened. Anyway, uh, but they're just everywhere. They're swarming everywhere. You can't get away from them. They go everywhere you go. Except, get this, and this is how we uh, learn the next thing. God knows, or those that God knows, he, he often chooses to redeem. Not always, just so we're clear that God's not some kind of cosmic candy machine that we can put our prayers in and get exactly what we want from. We don't believe that theology here. God's sovereign, and sometimes he purposes for us not to have relief. Is everybody with me on that? But aren't we grateful that a God who owes us nothing chooses us and then chooses to redeem us over and over again, far more than we recognize? I believe that's true. He provides for us and spares us holds back the effects of sin. 
so that we might live in his grace and in his mercy. Look what it says in verse 22. Moses says this, he says, but on that day, or God says this through Moses, on that day I will set apart the land of where? Goshen. If you go back in your Bibles to Genesis 45, you will find that as Joseph is kind of beginning his reign in Egypt 400 years prior to this, um, he is, uh, well, 480 years, anyway, he is um, given a piece of Egypt for his family to reside in. It's called Goshen. It was like the Jewish suburb of Egypt. It was their designated land. If you're uh, kind of looking at a map of Israel, the Nile comes straight up through Egypt, right? Up from Uganda and Africa, and then it kind of fingers out up into the Mediterranean Sea. Goshen's right here. And that was the designated place for the descendants of Israel. And so God says, I'm going to set apart this one region in the middle of Egypt <laughs> as a no-fly zone. Thank you very much. I worked on that all week. Thank you. It's where my people dwell, and, and, and there there shall be no swarms of flies, uh, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division. The actual word there for division is a Hebrew word that means redemption. It's translated redemption in other places. I'll put a redemption between my people and yours, and tomorrow this sign shall happen. So if you can picture that with me, Goshen had this like invisible wall, kind of like one of those electric fences that you give your dog collars, you know, uh, uh, you know, like there's these two dogs that uh, live, these huge German shepherds that uh, live right by the first hole of the golf course I play at all the time. And I, they always catch me not looking and they come running at me like, I'm going to die. This is how it ends. I'm going to die, you know, by German shepherd. But then they, they get to the line of this electric fence. You can see the big zapper on their collars and they're just like, eh. And they go back to their house. Well, here in Goshen, there was a kind of fence, but it wasn't electric. It was it was like a, a wall of swarming insects. And you cross over into Goshen, no insects. You go out of Goshen, insects. Now, not just that, though. Get this. Um, he is going to bring this plague on the inhabitants of Egypt, and he's going to spare his chosen ones, the Israelites, from the plague. So if Israelites leave Goshen, they walk with a force field around them. And all these bugs are like, ding, 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 ding. They can't get to them. But if Egyptians go into Goshen, they walk with a swarm around them. Like, ah, you know, and there's nobody else getting bit, but they're the ones being. Is everybody with me on this? It's fun to picture this stuff. Just have a good time with it, right? But this is how it's going. And this is why it's so miraculous. You can't herd flies. Anybody here a fly herder by trade? No, they don't even know where they're going. They're just like, like, eh, like, like eh, right? And, but here God takes these insects and he says, here but not here, them, but not them. And here in the life that we live, God says, there, but not here, and those, but not these. He grants his grace to those that he has chosen, to all of us in a general sense, but his special grace comes to those that he chooses to put it upon. It begs this question, why Israel? Like, has anybody read the Bible? Israel's not like top of the class. They're like sitting in the back. Actually, they're skipping school, and, 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 and you know, they're truant. They're, they're, they're just the, they're the worst. They really are. Like, if you read about Israel, they have some good moments. Like, if you read through the, the story of their kings, there's some good ones, but it's overwhelmingly the other way. 
Their kings are wicked. They bring in all kinds of idols from other lands. They worship false gods. Even in the story of the Exodus. I mean, have you ever, you know, sat and pondered this? Israel is miraculously freed, spared from the, pretty much from the last seven. They all have to go through the darkness thing, but from the last seven plagues, six plagues, they're, they're spared. They don't, they, don't have to, they don't have to go through it. They, they get spared from all those plagues. They're freed from slavery. The Egyptians throw all of their jewelries you know, and, and, and baubles at them. They, they get to the Red Sea. God parts the sea. They walk across. They're finally across on dry land. You'd think of all the peoples that have ever existed, these ones are going to stick with God, but go forward like three chapters in their story, and they're sitting at the foot of the mountain of God as Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and while they're waiting, this is what they decide to do. Let's take all of the gold that we've been given by Egypt, let's melt it down, and let's make a cow and worship a cow. They're the worst. So how come they're spared? How come they're freed? How come? How come? Not because they deserve it, but God in his love chose to spare them. Don't get offended. We're the worst. Some of you are like, I am not the worst. You say that every time, and I am not the worst. I'm not going to point fingers, but I am not the worst. No, listen, the Bible describes you left and right. You and I were dead in our transgressions and sins. We're the worst. We were on, in league with the prince of the air. We were in league with Satan. We wore his laundry. We were on his team. We deserve nothing. And God in his grace chooses us and provides for us, not because we deserve it, but because he is an awesome, amazing inscrutable, loving, merciful, gracious God. Full stop. Now, as we move forward, watch out for some watered-down worship deals. The world's going to come to you, and, and you're going to understand that you don't deserve anything, that God's given you everything, and you're going to want to worship God, but the world's going to say, hey, settle down. Don't get all fussed out in this Christian thing. Just blend in with the rest of us and everything will be fine. But God doesn't want you to settle down. He wants you to amp it up. Go further with him, deeper with him. Worship him as he commands, not as the world dictates. Here's, here's what happens next. The flies are buzzing. Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron. He's sitting there, oh, Mo, you gotta stop this, it's crazy. And so he says, here's the deal. I'm gonna, break, I'm gonna broker a deal with you. It's so important that you, that, to you and your people that you go and worship your God. Here, go, sacrifice your God, one condition. You gotta do it where? Here. What has Moses been saying? Let my people go so that we can go for three days and, and worship God in the wilderness. Three days, you ever wonder about that? Uh, most scholars think it was three days because that's how long it would take for them to go from Goshen to the furthest point in Egypt and get out of the land. They were not meant to worship God in Egypt. They were meant to worship him outside. They were meant to be freed, but we'll get into that some other day. But Moses says, no, nah, man, we, we can't do it here. He says, uh, it would not be right for us to do so, for the offerings that we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God we are, uh, would be an abomination. They're an abomination to you, the Egyptians, if we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes. 
aren't they going to throw rocks at us until we die? Uh, I think, it's not in the text, but I think Pharaoh knew this, and that's one of the reasons he suggested this. It's kind of this covert way for him to get rid of these pesky Israelites and these plagues altogether, just get them to worship their God through sacrificing certain animals that would be abominable to the Egyptians who worship those animals and the gods that they represented. It'd be like you having a hamburger in India uh, or, or, you know, slicing up some bacon at a synagogue or a mosque, right? Um, that would be detestable. And in those days, if you did things that offended someone else's gods, uh, like I'm so glad today it's so civil and, you know, that we don't do this anymore. But back then, if you offended somebody else's God, people would get really mad at you and they'd go after you and kill you. Moses says, we're not going to do that. We're not going to take the risk of offending Apis, who was the, the god of bulls, um, uh, the cow god. Uh, this is kind of a more updated picture of his glyph, but uh, we're not going to offend uh, the, the calf god uh, or goddess, which is uh, uh, Hathar. Now, we're not going to offend them or Isis or any other of the, the gods, Amnon, who are, or Ammon, excuse me, who are uh, related to these animals that we would sacrifice for God. We're not going to do that. Instead, verse 27, we must go three days' journey into the wilderness, and then here's the key, and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Say it with me. As he tells us. Now, look at me, church. Listen to this. If you don't get anything else I've said today, and I'll say more, but <laughs> here's the deal. Um, we don't get to tailor our worship of God uh, to what's most convenient for us, uh, to, to what we think would appease him or honor him. Uh, that is not our right to do. That is not a submitted worship. That is not a surrendered worship. That is a conditional worship. Yeah, I'll worship you, God, just Sundays from, you know, uh, well, 11, because I'm not getting there on time. But, you know, from 11 o'clock until I leave early before the song's over, uh, I'm going to worship you that long. And then I might work in, you know, a couple posts from Facebook and some different stuff like that. But the other time's mine. You get this much. I get the rest. Because anybody read the Bible? Is that what God is pleased with? All kinds of worship that he rejects. And almost all of it is um, the kind of worship that we dictate. Like he comes after the Old Testament, uh, you know, Jews uh, over and over again who, who came to them and said, listen, we fasted in this certain month and we, you know, gave sacrifices and we observed this feast. And he says to them, you guys weren't doing it for me when you did it anyway. I don't require the blood of animals. I require you and your hearts and the fullness of your worship. He says that kind of stuff. I mean, since, since the second generation of humans, humans have been getting worship wrong. Cain and Abel, right? Cain says, oh, I'll bring you something. Abel says, I'll, I'll bring you my best. Cain's is rejected, Abel's is received. It's still the same today. Romans informs us uh, in some ways as to how worship is meant to work. In Romans 12, famous verses, uh, Paul writes this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of everything else I've said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's our motivation. Worship is motivated by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Anybody heard this verse before? Some of us have. What's he saying in it? He's saying, listen, 
Here's all you got to do to worship God. Everything. In the same way that a sacrifice was laid on an altar gives there everything. Read, they die. That's all God expects from you, is for you to die and for you to give him your everything. You're like, well, how do I do that? Well, you're certainly, in verse 2, going to have to stop conforming to the ideas of the world that make you believe that you're something when you're nothing and convince you that it's okay for you to dictate to God how much you worship or how you worship. You've got to get rid of that thinking. And you've got to be renewed in your minds. Well, how does that happen? Well, we hang out on Sundays and we talk about it. You go to the Word and read it for yourself. You pray and connect with God. You, you do all the things that disciples do so that you become closer to him. You get to know him better. You get more uh, enveloped by him and deeper into him. And then you start to understand, in everything that I do, I'm worshiping something. And so in every situation I arrive in, there are choices to be made that will either worship God or worship something else. And so in every choice that I make, every thought that I think, I seek to worship God. Then I'll be able to discern what his will is, what's good and acceptable and perfect, and I'll honor him in those things. Let me summarize these next couple plagues for you. They're gonna go quick. He gets done with the bugs, and uh, he actually says, listen, you know, Moses and Pharaoh had this kind of exchange where they're not really listening to each other. Have you had that conversation? They're not really paying attention to each other. Pharaoh says, yeah, fine, you're not going to worship here. But when you do go and worship here, he still thinks they're going to do it. Would you offer up a prayer for me that the flies would stop buzzing? And Moses says, yeah, man. But remember, last time you said you were going to let the people go if I prayed and God would relent. And you've you got to remember to do that. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Moses goes and he prays. And the flies stop. And Pharaoh does what Pharaoh does. He says, I was just kidding. You guys got to stay. So Moses comes again, this time to the palace. And he says, Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship God in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, no, we're not going to do that. And Moses says, well, if you're not going to do that, here's the deal. Uh, God's going to inflict the livestock of Egypt. Now, he's not going to let this affliction, this mad cow disease or whatever the equivalent is, he's not going to hit the cows of Israel so that you can see that God is protecting those that he chooses, but it's going to hit your livestock, and so it does. And it tells us that Pharaoh sends. It says, Pharaoh sent, and it came back to him that it was just as Moses and Aaron had said. Pharaoh's supposed to send the children of Israel out, but Pharaoh sends out investigators instead. And he gets back this irrefutable evidence. Yes, Pharaoh, it's just like they said. And still, he won't believe. Why? Because hard hearts make for hard heads. Have you noticed that? Did you pick that up in the story? I mean, one of the reasons that our brother would not repent and receive Christ is because he had been hurt at 10 years old by the loss of his mother. And, if, and I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in other forms from people who say, well, here's why I can't believe in God, because he blew it in this situation. He wasn't here for me in this situation. Their hearts are hurt. It's not a matter of what they can understand and, and, and assent to in their minds. They can't get past the pain, and the pain affects how they think. Anybody seen someone who's gone through loss and they're, they're, they're yet to come out of mourning? They're allowing the emotions of their pain to affect everything else in their lives. They can't think straight because it hurts too much. 
Pharaoh's heart, caused by God, but Pharaoh's heart being hard, made it impossible for him to see the truth. And so when you and I pray for our friends on these cards, pray for their hearts to be softened so that they can, in their minds, understand the truth. The one becomes, almost always comes before the other. The last plague that we're going to cover today, the sixth plague. Uh, it comes unannounced. Uh, God just says to Moses and Aaron, hey, Mo, Aaron, go by the ovens of Egypt, the kilns. You know what they make in kilns? Pottery. But you know what else they make? Bricks. Anybody remember how Pharaoh messed with Israel, the brick makers of Egypt? Remember Moses came in chapter 5 and said, hey, God wants you to let these guys go. Moses says, who's God? And he wants to let these people go. They're my slaves. You know, for this to even be an idea in their heads, they must not be working hard enough. So I'm going to require the same amount of bricks from them, but they've got to go collect their own straws. Anybody here for that sermon? Right? And so here at these ovens, the oppression of Pharaoh is seen in the lives of Israel. No wonder then God says, you know what, let's use the ovens. That'll be a good twist. Go to the ovens, Moses. Go to the ovens, Aaron. Reach in there and grab the soot, the ashes. And I want you to take it and I want you to throw it up in the air. Magicians of that day would do this all the time. It was kind of like one of those, you know, deceptive look over here things so they could do their trick over here. But it's not going to be a trick. It's not some kind of illusion. I want you to throw it up in the air. And when that dust settles on the people and the animals of Egypt, they're going to break out in boils. Okay, bug bites are lousy. Agreed? You ever been so sick that your skin pops out in pustules and it boils over? You feel like you're on fire, is what I read. It's like when you had a, a broken arm as a kid and it got all itchy in there and you just couldn't stand it. Oh! You know, you just thought you were going to come out of your own you know, skeleton, right? Well, multiply that by however many hundreds of thousands of, and that's what boils are. They're just painful. They were so painful, it tells us in this story, that the magicians who would normally come out to greet uh, Moses and Aaron in the wake of their latest plague couldn't even get out of bed. They couldn't even stand up to go and face their foe. And so Moses come to Pharaoh and he, he says, hey, Pharaoh, what, how about now? <laughs> and, and Pharaoh still won't relent. Listen, as we close today, can we all agree that it's best in life that when, when life gets hard, it's best in life for us to choose to listen to and lean into God? See, Pharaoh was plagued by God, and it turned his heart even further against him. God willed it, but, but that's what happened. And I see that happen all the time. Anybody seen that in some of the friends that they've got listed in here? God wouldn't, wouldn't heal, he wouldn't provide, he wouldn't save, and so I don't need him. <laughs> that's, just, that's not why God allows suffering. God allows suffering not so that we'd run from him, but that we would run to him. Job figured that out. Anybody remember the story of Job? Job's this incredible story. It's a, a basically a wager, a, a, a contest. Satan comes to God and says, God, um, if, if you would just take your hand of grace away from this guy, Job, who is, is one of your favorites, I, I bet you I could do things in his life that would lead him to, to just cursing your name. And God says, I don't think that'll happen. Go ahead. 
And so in chapter one, Satan gets busy and he takes everything that Job has essentially away from him. All of his riches, his family dies, his kids all die. Uh, all he's left with is his wife. Yay, because she's a piece of work, right? And she comes in as, as Job and she are mourning the loss of their family and everything that they have. And she just says, curse God and die. That's her one line. <laughs> curse God and die. And in chapter one, Moses says this, naked I came into the world, naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's not gonna curse God. And so Satan comes to God in chapter two and he says, ah, oh, yeah, I, got, I took all of his externals away, but let me mess with him personally. If you let me take his health, he will curse your name. And God says, okay, you can do anything you want, just don't kill him. And so Satan inflicts him, you may wanna guess, with boils. This is apparently a real bad whatever it was. It tells us that Job was so pain, so wrought, that he took shards of pottery and he would just scrape his skin to just try to get these boils to burst and to find relief. And so here comes his wife, verse nine. Look at you. God has forsaken you. He's not real, he's not powerful. Curse his name and die. It's, his, it's her one line. And Job says in verse 10, ah, oh, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. And then he says this, what a, wow. Shall we receive good from God, but not receive evil? Now some of you are like, God brings evil? No, but God re removes his grace and the world that is wrought with evil brings evil in Job's life. But Job gets it, he's a good theologian. He understands that if I'm gonna worship God in the good times, I'm certainly gonna hold on to God in the hard times. He's still God. He hasn't changed, just my circumstances have. And so I'm gonna give him my everything and not turn my back on him. It's like that song we sang. If all of you means I have to give you all of me, then take everything. May that be our heart today. Stand with me as we sing.